welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. We are broadcasting live on Rockfin. You can get the whole DNBXR live in video on Rockfin right now. You can see my crazy hair. That should be an attraction to you to go look at it if you are a subscriber to Rockfin. Even if you're not watching live, you can watch it later. Same thing for Rumble. We are on Rumble right now. The full uh, free 30, which will probably be free 40 on Rumble on our channel there because YouTube is dead to us. And we are uh, streaming live from there, too, on video. But you'll still get to hear it in the audio, as usual. And uh, just wanted to let people know that there are a couple of live events coming up. One is I have my locals live stream tomorrow at 5 o'clock Pacific time. I'm taking requests for what cocktail we should make. I kind of demonstrate the cocktails from my kitchen, and then we chit-chat over uh, drinking them. And we also, at 5 o'clock, I guess this would be before that, 5 o'clock Eastern, we are going live on YouTube. I guess it's not totally dead to us when you're talking about something other than the VAX or election integrity, but we are going to talk to our friend Bill from Neighbors. He is having a rough time. He's in trouble. He's going to tell us his whole story, and I know so many of our listeners are in Atlanta, know Bill. He's one of our earliest sponsors. So if you're interested in what's going on locally, and it's such a part of the It's Neighbors Feed and Seed, it's such a part of kind of where we're moving for being independent autonomous livers. So we would like to hear about how he's trying to keep his business going. So you can tune into uh, our propaganda report station on YouTube tomorrow at five o'clock Eastern for that story. Tomorrow's Friday, March 25th. And with that, on to the first story of the day. Binkley, take it away. Do you remember a few months ago when I brought a couple of stories about underseas cables being cut, being severed, isolating. There was a tsunami or something, and I can't remember what the country was, but the story was about how they were isolated from the rest of the international community because they had no internet because the undersea cable had been cut. Totally. Story went into how Google, Amazon, Apple, and I think Microsoft own or control most of the undersea cables in the world with the help of the United States government. And I was wondering, we were talking about, what the purpose of this story might be. And I believe the other shoe might have just dropped on the purpose of those stories because today I'm seeing stories about what the crippling cyber attack that evil Vladimir Putin could wage on the West might be. And that cyber attack could be that he somehow cuts the undersea cables. Wow. Severing the West from the internet, isolating the West from the West of the world or West of the world, rest of the world. And apparently, according to this article, he could even destroy the internet of the entire globe, which I find this <laughs> argument to be Pretty? interesting. I, Based on what they're saying and based on the fact that it is controlled largely by these four organizations, they don't control all of it, but they do control a good portion of it, that he could do it because it's really simple. They said that it's as simple as a fisherman having his boat over one of the underseas cables because they're not that protected underwater and his anchor just dropping down to the bottom of the ocean, bam, severing it right there. I don't believe that for a second. Or they could have scuba divers go down, put explosives on it, blow them up. And I find the argument interesting because if he were to sever the internet of the West, that would have a crippling effect, definitely. But what it would also do is it would prevent Russia from 
putting its propaganda into the U.S. So we put our propaganda over there and they attempt to put our propaganda over here. We're told that cyber warfare, that information warfare, that that hacking Facebook groups, taking control of and co-opting Facebook groups is how they are. They wage war and that they're so good of it. Now we're being told that they're going to try and attempt to do something that would completely cripple their entire propaganda war effort that they're doing. And if they were to sever the Internet of the entire planet, they would also end their own cyber capabilities. So I'm not buying the story. I think it's a bit of fear mongering, although I wouldn't put it past them to do some sort of false flag that does cripple the Internet either in Europe or here a little bit, just so we do feel that pain as a demonstration of what could happen so that they could then use that as the justification or the red line that they say Russia crosses to justify our further involvement in the war over there. I think there might be a more practical implication to that. It's something that I'm actually going to touch on in the deepest dive of the day. And I've talked about this many times before. It's that 2010 hack attack scenario from Rockefeller Foundation where they said that there's going to be, um, you know, we've been talking about this where. I feel like they're going to they're actually shutting down regionalizing their like this the transportation the air airplane fears that people are going to be staying put maybe what they're moving us towards and that you don't want information to travel too quickly across borders maybe what they're looking for is a more regional kind of internet because you could if everybody had their own servers I think you could still communicate over the internet it's really what you're talking about is regionalizing it right if if it can't actually have global reach, but that could play right into what I think might be their next phase strategy. Larry Fink, this is a tease to the deepest dive of the day, said the Russia-Ukraine war it marks the end of globalization. And that is exactly what I thought they might be up to. And I think your story folds into that and we can pull it together in the deepest dive. That's very interesting. One of the reasons they say that they believe Russia could be planning such an attack is because they were doing naval research exercises close to places where the cables are located. However, what they don't mention is that ca- the cables are located everywhere. Just that they're like all right. under the bottom of the yeah. ocean. So you could say that about anything. And I find it interesting because this follows the theme of the reason we know they're going to do it is because they say we're going to do it. That type of evidence. This is something that the British did during World War One. They controlled the undersea cables and they cut off the information from Germany coming to the U.S. so they could manipulate the U.S. by preventing them from being able to communicate with us. So we're, we're back to Russia's doing what the British did and they're saying that we're going to do it and it's just a big conglomeration of nonsense. Yeah, that seems to be the theme. Uh, so another theme that I saw emerging three days ago and I want to watch out for it, it was... Uh, did you I don't think you saw this or we would have talked about it, that Tucker Carlson had his whatever monologue about what a piece of crap Zelensky is? No, I didn't see that. Can you believe that? And I was like, OK, this is totally off script and there's no way this isn't playing into something. What to watch out for? The worm is turning on this narrative. And then unbeknownst to me or uh, us, I'm totally uncoordinated with each other. Dean tweeted at me an article, which I only like really had to dig for the date. It was from October. Why it was popping up in his feed and he shared it with me, having not seen my Tucker tweet about 
all the dirty behind the scenes dealing that Zelensky has been up to since 2012. I did a deep dive on Zelensky as a created person about a month ago here. And I didn't even stumble upon that article that had all the smoking guns in it. It's unbelievable. It's in the show notes right now. But why did that surface all of a sudden? I was looking for it basically a month ago. Dean um, tweeted at me today or yesterday, even though it's been around for so long, right on the heels of what Tucker Carlson said. Let me tell you what Tucker said. And I'm, I, I don't know what this is all about. If they're going to, they're setting, um, you know, I guess my, my instinct is that this whole thing has been about, maybe they were losing the hearts and minds of the Ukrainians. I did a deep dive on a woman, a French woman reported from Ukraine reporting to French television saying, this guy's a piece of crap. We don't believe in the elections. Remember that one? Yeah. Pinkley. And uh, and I was like, well, if they if they lose control of that narrative, then they're really um, they have to get ahead of it. But what I think if they were losing control of the actual country, then maybe they were ready for this invasion and they're willing to take that rump that Ukraine rump state, the Western portion and give up the Eastern portion because it's better than nothing. And they, they'll get it for NATO, whatever. And maybe they're setting Zelensky up as, you know, you can't trust a comedian any more than you can trust the apprentice guy to run a country and that he's a piece of crap and they're just setting him up as a scapegoat. It could be. But listen to what Tucker said about him. He said, this is what he said. You should know about a political party in Ukraine called Opposition Platform for Life. Of course, he's probably dog whistling the right to lifers who, who are uh, tuned into Fox. He said, with 43 seats in parliament, it's the largest opposition party in the country. And over the weekend, uh, Zelensky banned that party. It's now prohibited from all activity in Ukraine. So I figured he would was going to go for something like that's what happens in war and we can forgive it, whatever it says uh, in a single with a single command, Zelensky made it impossible for anyone to run against him for president. He did this, not just the opposition platform for life, but to 10 other political parties that he believed were insufficiently loyal to him. They're all illegal. Now that's what the French chick was saying. And it wasn't because of the war. It was some, it was before that he, and then Tucker says, this is like, I think not really true. He said, obviously there's a war under, way in Ukraine. And on that basis, Zelensky has declared martial law. But we have to tell you, there's no... Oh, oh, he did come through with it. I actually read this already, but I didn't click. There's no evidence the opposition parties were banned um, because they were aiding Russia in its war against Ukraine. I don't think what he said is that. I think some of them were banned before there was even a Rus uh, Russian invasion. He said the... And this theme is repeated in his thing. He says, opposition platform for life, for example, denounced the Russian invasion the moment it happened, just like everybody else. So that theme comes up again and again, where he's uh, confirming the righteousness of our resistance. Uh, but Zelensky took the opportunity to turn Ukraine into a one-party state, which it now is. But I think it was kind of headed in that direction anyway. He said he's also seized control of the country's media outlets. And the chick said that too, that he was killing journalists and um, banning uh, opposition media as well. Zelensky signed a decree that combines all national television channels into a single platform that he controls. Remember, he had that coalition with Kolomoisky, who ran the station that he was a comedian on um, and also ran the biggest news station. He described it as a unified information policy. Holy cow. <laughs> unified information. Yeah, policy. we're going to have one of those. Yeah. <laughs>
He says, it's, this isn't the Zelensky you've heard about on the Today Show. You Maybe you weren't paying attention, but he has solidified complete control over Ukraine and has been for a long time, since long before the Russian invasion. Holy cow, they must, they must think this is coming out. And maybe this is why I heard that French chick. Maybe they knew this was going to come out. You know, why would I hear that? Why would I get some French, you know, whatever. So he had his main political opponent arrested last year. And his assets, that guy's assets, were seized by the state. Um, and at the same time, Zelensky shut down three of Ukraine's most popular television networks, channels that criticized him. I mean, that's just amazing. And he goes into uh, democracy is the exception, not the rule. And we should be paying attention to our own democracy here. And we shouldn't be worried so much about what's going on over there. But this is, he ha- and that Zelensky thing, that is the worm turning, but he does reinforce, and this is what's always good about a limited hangout, is they re- reinforce the really important message so that you have all this credibility because you're bucking the trend of the regular, of the entire narrative, except for this one point, which obviously is true. He said, this doesn't mean the broader Ukraine cause, Ukrainian cause is unjust. It is just. They were invaded. They have a right to fight back and expel the Russians from their country. And for the fifth time, we're rooting for that. So I don't hear him defending the people of Donbass. Maybe that will come. I think it's unlikely. But the the avalanche of stuff about Zelensky still in league with Kolomoisky and being corrupt and controlling stuff since 2012, 10 years. This guy is no hapless, accidental president uh, he's there. You can look into the links I put there about uh, it's the Pandora Papers. Was that the big one? I thought the Panama Papers were the big one. This is the Pandora Papers. And those are the most recent ones. It said that the, this is a sure sign of a corrupt guy. It says around the time of his 2019 election, Zelensky handed his shares in a key offshore company, which was in Cyprus, which is where all that um I think it's in Cyprus where all that Kolomoisky shenanigans were uh, to one of his business partners. But the two appear to have made an arrangement for Zelensky's family to continue receiving money from the offshore. I don't like that one bit. And Trump did it. So maybe Trump people won't object to this, but I don't like any of that. And especially because those are ill-gotten gains. If my knowledge of (laughs) recent Ukrainian history is accurate yeah i think this is a another illustration and perhaps a test to see how much hypocrisy people can live with within their own brains emotionally psychologically because when you hear him doing that the very things that people who stand with ukraine and have their twitter profiles as the flag they say that that's what Putin does. He targets his political opponents. He poisons them. He does whatever. He locks them up. Now you have the Ukrainian president doing that, and there won't be any of them that care. It's just what kind of what level of hypocrisy can you put on the general public to have them just put them in, as Edward Bernays called it, the logic proof compartments in their minds and, and brainwash them essentially. This it could be part of a mass brainwashing tactic. And to that, I saw a couple of stories today. I don't have too much on this, but we saw this coming. We've talked about this. A headline out of the New York Times, Russia and far-right Americans find common ground with Ukraine war. This New York Times publishing this with the gist of the article being that as the war has raged, the Kremlin's talking points and some right-wing discourse has coalesced. And, of course, they point to Tucker Carlson. Coalesced. And ha- yeah, yeah, coalesced. Thank you. And they point to Alex Jones, and they – Link it to Trump. 
just like we knew they would, just like we knew anybody who questioned the vaccine, anybody who questioned the mask mandate, anybody who didn't openly state their opposition to Trump, because as we see now, they're going to be demanding that tennis players from Russia state that they are not fan that they don't like Putin. They have to denounce Putin if they want to play at Wimbledon is what they're considering right now. So they, they're taking these policies that, that they were trying to implement during COVID and like you would get canceled if you don't say that you hate Trump by online hit mobs, but they're actually applying it to Russia through the corporations with the, the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab model of governance. And now they're kind of trying to shift it back to the United States as well. And I think we're going to see more of a push there. That if you are connected, if you aren't denouncing Putin, then you're going to be canceled. But I don't think it's going to work. So is that what happened to Madeleine Albright? Madeleine Albright has died. We know that. She has passed away at age of 84. Not, not a moment too soon. Yeah, well, I don't like to celebrate anybody's death. Even oh, though really? What, what, what you, you know told what us, she's done? <laughs> what you told us yesterday was pretty bad. But I what I didn't know about her death, well, they haven't talked about until today, was that she penned one final essay for the New York Times. It was published a couple of weeks ago. I missed oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah. She's 84. She She's the waning moments of her life. A little bit of time left. What did she choose to focus on? Did she focus on her family and the love that she shared with them? Did she talk about life and, and the pursuit of happiness? No, no. She spent her last essay focused on Vladimir Putin and how she, how her when she met him, she reflected on her meeting with him when she was working in the Clinton administration back in 2000. And here's what she said in the essay in the New York Times. Flying home, I recorded my impressions. Putin is a small, is small and pale, so cold as to be almost reptilian. <laughs> Boy, is that the pot calling the kettle yeah, black? Holy right. cow, she's definitely a shape-shifting lizard <laughs> yeah. person, if anybody is. And then she said, he claimed to understand why the Berlin Wall had to fall, but had not expected the whole Soviet Union to collapse. Putin is embarrassed by what happened to his country and determined to restore its greatness. She then said that Putin would be making a historic error if Russia invaded Ukraine. And she said that instead of paving Russia's path to greatness, invading Ukraine would ensure Mr. Putin's infamy by leaving his country diplomatically isolated, economically crippled, and strategically vulnerable in the face of a stronger, more united Western alliance. Now, they say... They say never let a good crisis go to waste. <laughs> never let a timely death go to waste. Yeah. They will use any channel of propaganda. We saw obituaries as propaganda during the COVID lockdown. People lashing out yes. against Trump in their obits. Now we have the final words of this very divisive woman uh, being about Vladimir Putin. If this is true, which I don't believe that she this really is wrote that while she was live. That's and you think say. she didn't really? Because was she sick? I don't know. I, I, I don't think that she – this was a couple of weeks before she died. Yeah. Maybe she did. If she did, I think that this is they, – they're kind of framing it as a, a grand illustration of this woman in her last moments almost warning Putin and, and warning the world, letting the world know about this evil man. That, that's not what this really is if this is true. If this is true, this is a, a example of obsessional propaganda infecting oh, somebody. This is yeah. If it's true, if she actually really was consumed in her well, waning what I moments, think, what I think this is is 
she she's part of a network you know she and kissinger and whatever they have whatever it is the world economic forum or council of foreign relations or some secret society or whatever they it's just like ron paul like was like what are you talking about i don't tweet my own tweets he, he's open oh, about it but right. other people pretend that they don't so she i would assume that she doesn't really write i think kissinger probably writes his own but maybe not even anymore he's still writing stuff he's in his 90s no yeah so I, if yeah. she so this was a you know something that maybe they knew she was going to die maybe they didn't but it was time for her to trot something out because she had that leg to stand on because she you know it was a call back to that clinton yeah. era thing i thought that what this was was rumor has it like with john mccain when he was dying or the woman who was jane roe in roe versus wade after the or in like the obituaries you're talking about people came out after the fact and said oh i was there and the last thing that he said was yada 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 now that stuff i like truly do not believe but unless she was in a coma i figure she was aware that they were using her for that oh, like gabby absolutely. giffords on the other hand <laughs> they do that stuff and i'm sure she's not aware right no i i think that she's absolutely aware i think there's probably an agreement with them where they say all right when you die do you mind if we go ahead and use your death to spread a little propaganda around the issue but this the was before I, she died right right i know yeah, but they're okay. not they're not covering it until now they're, okay. they're not paying any okay. attention to it until okay. now so it happened yes, a couple of weeks ago and yeah. now they're focusing on it but what what i what i was trying to point to earlier was that if this were true in somebody and they want to make this spread to others. So if this woman was consumed by Vladimir Putin, I don't believe that she was, but that's the projection that they're, that's the picture okay, they're painting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Then that's very sick. That's a, de that's demented. That's psychologically unwell. If in your waning moments, all you can think about is Vladimir Putin and the public is, they want the public to reflect that. They want people to lay up at mm -hmm. night thinking about Vladimir Putin, focusing on nothing else, yeah. thinking about how evil he is, how he's going to cut your internet off, how he's going to kill your children. <laughs> They're trying to upset. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's what people are worried about in that order. They want to create obsessions about the, how scary he is so that people will support doing horrible things in wartime. That's in it. That's what it's, yes, the war propaganda is all about. So um, the one big news, kind of a headline today was that initial jobless claims were down to the lowest level in 50 years, something like that, 50 years, yeah, I think, and or more. It was 187,000. This is initial jobless claims. So people who are filing for unemployment because they just lost their job. So hardly anybody is losing their jobs right now. Now, that could be because a lot of people already lost their jobs and a lot of people resigned from their jobs and they're doing these gig things. And it's quite possible you don't get unemployment coming off a gig thing. So I never believe these numbers at all. And I, I'm not saying that what they're actually saying that they're saying is not true, but I never feel like you can interpret the economic implications that they're telling you to interpret like this is of course biden's like this is a reflection of all my policies of i don't know what getting people vaccinated something crazy like that his quote was like a non-secretary so so one thing that i am noticing is that they're not calling it the great resignation anymore they're calling it the great reshuffle so they're saying people are re resigning and then they're finding other jobs. But then there was that little article I found the other day that said, uh, then when they get to their new jobs, they're even worse than their last job. So I really expect there to be a labor surplus coming soon. But I could even go a little deeper and say that the labor force participation rate is really what unemployment is. So if everybody were out of work and no one was looking for a job, the unemployment rate would be zero. Do you know that how that works? Like if yes. nobody was, so everybody's out of work, so everyone is unemployed, but if they're not looking for a job, 
there is, there, it's not counted as unemployment. And when you systematically or systemically eliminate jobs, which is what's happening as we have the great reset and they make everything gig and then they um, tech it out so that your McDonald's job is taken by an iPad. Those people are just sitting on the sidelines. They don't count anymore. So I pulled some statistics about this because they make it sound like it's the most robust job market since 1969. And the data I could find was for the last 20 years. And at the labor force participation rate in May of 2002, so 20 years ago, was approximately 67%, almost 67%, 66.7%. So that's two-thirds of the people, more than two-thirds of the people, solid two-thirds, were working and who could work. Then it, six years later, in September 2008, which that was, if I recall correctly, that's when the big correction was coming, uh, but I could be wrong about that. Maybe it was just before it. It was still 66%. In September 2015, so that's seven years ago, it was 62.4%. That's a lot lower, a lot lower. These are big numbers. These are a lot of people. You know, labor force is 150 million people probably. So then uh, right before the pandemic thing, the lockdown stuff, it's really lockdown. In January, it was up to 63.4. So it was better than it had been um, since whatever, in five years. Then it went down to 60%. And now it's only back up to 62.3%. So it's really not even to the pre-pandemic levels, as they say. And it's nowhere near what it was 20 years ago. And that is the real trend. So the Great Reset is going to put a lot of noise in those numbers. But what we're really seeing is a lot of people who are out of work and are going to stay out of work. And I think we're going to see a cliff. I think we're going to see stagflation coming of massive unemployment, which they may or may not report properly, and massive inflation, again, which they mask those numbers too. And they call everything the great, the great reset, the great reshuffling. It harkens back to the Great Depression. It's all the great what's happening next with these people. It's a little maddening. Yeah. I'm wondering, too, about the how they determine the unemployment rate there. At what point are we going to reach a point in time where they have to change the way they do that because people who don't have jobs and aren't looking for jobs shouldn't be expected to have to look for a job because oh, yeah. they should be given the job by someone should come to them. Well, it's the universal basic income, so you're going to pay them to do nothing, and eventually those people probably will get killed, you know, one way or another. But another, probably I didn't actually dig into any details on this because it just occurred to me, but I wouldn't, one thing, the reason I went to March Against Obamacare three times, and the only political activism i done since my mother dragged me down to D.C. on every January 22nd. But I went to D.C. every time the call was put out to fight against Obamacare for this reason and this reason alone. That once you start making the um, government employ or be responsible for the livelihoods or the care and feeding of more than 50% of the people, you can never get a smaller government again in, a, in some place that has a, a democratic processes because more than 50% of the people will always vote to not reduce taxes. We were really the last stand in the West for that. So if 
So, and it was about employment and healthcare industry and all of that. So if the employment or my stats at the time showed that the government was 50%, um, whether directly employing people or they were employed in industries that were highly dependent on the government, if that was more than 50% at the time, and that I would posit, I would hazard a guess that that percentage, the percentage of government connected workers is growing as a percentage of this. So now you're gonna have smaller and smaller, really smaller percentage of people in the private sector. And that is gonna have a terrible impact because it's highly inefficient and unproductive. And you're gonna have real reduction in standard of living. And then you're gonna take from the productive private sector people, you're gonna transfer a lot of that surplus that could be used for more productive purposes into the hands of the unproductive, It'll it'll just have I think it'll have a spiral a downward spiral on the standard of living across the board and probably over the next ten years or less. Yeah, and Biden either last night or today he was talking about the potential for a gas stimulus check. So once again, we see another parallel from what happened during the pandemic to what's happening now during Ukraine when it comes to these stimmy yeah, checks. Good point. All right, before we get to our deepest dive of the day, where Larry Fink tells it tells you like it is. I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the XR, which is how sick is sick? Only Anthony Fauci knows for sure. And a new report shows how Americans actually spent their pandemic relief money. There'll be a few surprises in there. We'll tell you all about it. And of course, a thank you to the sponsor of today's show, True Hemp Science, truehempscience.com. Promo code proper court, prop prop code, excuse me. True Hemp Science is your CBD experts. What makes them truly unique is they create handcraft quality, full spectrum CBD products by sourcing the highest grade hemp from around the world. What I love specifically is their Acapulco Gold Lotion with hemp extract. It smells great. It feels great. It smells natural and real, and it works amazing. And I also love their t-shirts, which I was going to wear today, but it's in the wash. They have fantastic t-shirts. And I know, Monica, you've had some experience with their products that help you out yes, with some things. I absolutely love their products. I absolutely love their products. I, there is no doubt in my mind that there are no higher quality CBD products than theirs. And actually, I think they have... Uh, a very refined operation in Austin. If anybody lives in Austin and wants to um, maybe learn a trade, let's see if we can hook people up. I don't know if they have a storefront there, but feel free to email me at the propaganda report podcast at gmail.com. If you want to know a little bit more about um, true hemp science in situ, but I also highly recommend you check out their website. I mean, they have such, such wonderful products. I really, I did not understand the true value of CBD products till I, so until I started to use them. I really like the nano emulsified uh, little drops. I love them and they taste good. Yeah. Yeah. It's the gummies taste good. The yeah. gluten-free brownies, gluten-free cookies, they all taste good. You don't want to overdo it, but I just I think it's a wonderful alternative to stress. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you go to their website, truehempscience.com, you will see they put the work in. They know their stuff. This is the real deal. And if you're like me and you didn't know much about CBD or you don't know much about CBD, they help you. They get to know you and they help you understand oh. how their products can help you specifically. Let's put our conversation with him and Aviva in the show notes today. Okay, that's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Truehempscience.com, promo code, prop code. And now on to our deepest dive of the day. 
So I was just looking, I had to read it twice because a couple of weeks ago, if not a month or two ago, I did a little deep dive on Larry Fink and his letter to businesses. Well, he just put out a letter to shareholders. And in that letter, he said that the Ukraine-Russia war marks the end of globalization. And this, this, I mean, if he's going to say that, um, maybe he's faking it or whatever. But I had been thinking that what this could be is that after, I don't know if you remember me talking about this, that when the Iron Curtain fell, the USSR fell, we sent over the Harvard economists, we sent over all these guys who acted like they were looking for free market capitalism over there. And what they were really doing were, I think, setting up a mercantilist arrangement where they we were opening up markets. I'm sure you remember me talking about this. It was the Eastern Europe. It was Eastern Germany. We, were, we, we could just sell to them. And that my fear or theory was that that was exhausted. That low-hanging fruit was exhausted. And now they realize that they that they're, they're not only, they're not just having a customer base from over there, they're now getting competition from a producer base, a production base there. Because when Russia and Germany get together, you have resources and you have an industrial powerhouse. It's the McKinder Doctrine. And you have uh, you might not win in if you have competition for production from an alliance between those two. So I was amazed to read this in Larry Fink's letter. He says this. He says the Russian invasion of Ukraine has put an end to globalization, the globalization we experienced over the past three decades. That's what he's talking about. He said uh, it has left many communities looking inward. And he said this has exacerbated the polarization and extremist behavior we are seeing across society today. Now, hold that thought. That goes to the hack attack thing that I was talking about, about shutting stuff down. Uh, He said... Nations and governments have come together and launched an economic war against Russia. He goes on to explain this. This gets to my point. Back in the early 90s, when the world emerged from the Cold War, Russia was welcomed into the global financial system and given access to global capital markets. The expansion of globalization accelerated international trade, grew global capital markets, and increased economic growth. He said it was right then, 35 years ago, when BlackRock was founded and the firm benefited immensely from the rise of globalization and growth of the capital markets, which fueled the need for technology-driven asset management. So that's it. And when you think about the the growth cycle, the life cycle of an industry or business, it, it gets like that. You have huge growth in the beginning, especially as you tap in new markets, you turn on new people to new things. And then you have a little bit of a cash cow, but as competition encroaches, there's something called the race to zero, the economic race to zero, which is if you're making big money, people are going to enter that market until they drive the prices down. So there's no in a, in a free market, there's no such thing as economic profit. There's profit, but it's not economic profit. So I think that they went in, they saw that and, and, I think they might have known full well, anticipated that that would wind itself down, or they just recognize that it is winding itself down and there's nothing they can do about it. So they're changing tack. Now, that's where that 2010 Rockefeller stuff comes in, because there were two scenarios. Uh, there were four scenarios. One of them was lockstep, and, everybody, and that was the pandemic one. You know the document I'm talking about. So it's in the show notes. 
the one on Loxa, I think, although it is about pandemic and it has some features, it was the other one, Hack Attack, that I thought was more appropriate. There's one more called Smart Scramble, which may be true, but let me just read you what Hack Attack is. Uh, they had these two continuums where you have strong or weak geopolitical cooperation, then you have strong or weak uh, adapt adaptive uh, capability. This is Hack Attack was weak geopolitical cooperation and weak adaptive capability. And he says an economically unstable and shock prone world in which governments weaken, criminals thrive and dangerous innovations emerge. Now, that echoes what what Fink said about the polarization and extremism in society. And I think it goes to what you were saying about cutting off the intercontinental cables. Because then you would have this isolation, polarization, the criminal stuff. All these points are hit, I think. Another one about that isolation, but with adaptation, smart scramble. That was the other one. And I had a conversation with Angela McArdle of the L.A. County Libertarian Party, which we are going to put in the feed tomorrow. And she, her hope was in that um, she was saying that we are actually becoming more adaptive and more a- adaptable. Um, we're able to have more um, alacrity. And it is so it is possible that it's going that way. And maybe it's a choice. They can cut off the international communications, but they can't control whether we're innovative and adaptive. So maybe that's why we see them trying to enhance dysfunctional subcultures. We see them trying to get infighting. You see them trying to get people to go backwards. Then um, maybe that's what they're afraid of, that people will be uh, too adaptive. And that's the one thing that they can't control. So let's keep our eyes open for that. And I have a little more on this, but I, I think I'll bring that to the Exxon. I think another aspect of that connectivity with the, the broader world is in that demonstration where they that island got severed, from their yep. cable got severed, and they were just isolated. It seems like they were making an example out of that island because that island was one of the few that were, was not under the control of those four corporate organizations with the help of the government. I think that part of that is to ultimately, and they might let people be isolated for a while so that they feel that pain, ultimately to get the entire cables under the control of that global corporate conglomerate. Maybe. All right. Very interesting stuff. Thank you, Monica. Thank you guys for, go ahead. Let's not forget that we have two live streams tomorrow where I have one on locals where I'm going to make a cocktail and I am open to suggestion if you, and that that's free. So you can go in and look at that right now, uh, or you can look at it just by signing up. You don't have to pay. And then the, the mine might disappear. Binkley's did not disappear. And I don't think it should have mine. Whatever gets a little cocktail-y. So that one, so you might have to tune in actually on time, which is 5 p.m. Pacific time. No, Eastern. No, Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern. That's mine. Yes. But, but yeah. what we're doing is also a 5 p.m. Eastern one, which is earlier with Bill from Neighbors. And I think all the locals should tune into that. Please, on YouTube, we'll put the link in the show notes of this show. And if you, even if you're just a fan um, or you want to support her, it's, I, I'm actually really interested in the story because I know Bill's a good guy. If he's having problems with someone, I definitely want to hear his side of the story. And I really hope he doesn't lose his business over it. Yeah, me too. It's going to be interesting to hear. So check that out. And thank you guys for watching. You can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at the or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. 
Go ahead, Monica. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. I have something else. In the show notes, I have links to all my meetups. I'm having three meetups in the next three weeks. I'm doing one April 3rd in Waltham or Watertown, Massachusetts. I'm doing one April 8th in Rockland County, New York, my old stomping grounds. And I'm doing one April 16th in LA, probably Sherman Oaks. So please go to the prop report. I have the things in the show notes, but you can just go to the prop report, go to the meetups. You'll see them there. You've got to comment there to get the details because I need headcounts. So sorry about that interruption, but uh, you know, we can't. It's perfectly fine. Lots of opportunities to meet up with Monica out there in Cali. And if you guys want access to the premium content that we post every day, we post a DMB as well as others. You can go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report, and we will talk to y'all next time or in the DMB XR. Have a fantastic rest of your day.